It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, January 26th, and this is your KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Joyce Miller returns next week. The Nevada County Youth Job Corps program provides job readiness training and internships to young adults in Nevada County and has been active since October 2022, placing trained participants in paid internships with local nonprofits that address food insecurity, climate, and COVID-19 recovery. KVMR's intern news producer, Julia Jem, visited the Connecting Point office in Grass Valley to speak with some of the people involved in that program. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In the Bay Area, communities are coming together to mourn those killed in mass shootings in Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay, as well as a mass shooting Monday night in Oakland that killed one and wounded seven. Some are connecting the shootings to wider local gun violence. KQED's Annalise Finney has more from a vigil last night at Oakland's Wilma Chan Park. Liz Suk is singing a Korean love song before a crowd of about five dozen lit orange by candlelight. On an altar are the photos of the 18 people killed in Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay, and a photo of 18-year-old Mario Navarro, who was killed in a shooting this week in East Oakland. Timmy Liu grew up in Monterey Park and now lives here. Well, Monterey Park's experience is not too far away from what our communities experience here every day. And so I think being in a space where we can acknowledge both the tragedy of what's happening elsewhere, but also understand that we've got work to do here, too, is something that brings me here today. In the meantime, he says he's holding his loved ones close. For the California Report, I'm Annalise Finney in Oakland. The Half Moon Bay community is still reeling from this week's mass shooting in the city. South of San Francisco, Half Moon Bay is home to about 12,000 residents. Nearly half of them are Latino. The city also has a long agricultural history, making the shooting at two farms even more difficult to comprehend. My California Report co-host Manny Bolaños has been in Half Moon Bay all week and joins us now. Hey, Saul. So, Manny, give us a sense of what residents are feeling and saying there. Well, most of them are pretty shocked. Everyone that I spoke to says they never imagined something like this happening in Half Moon Bay. It's a coastal city of roughly 12,000 people, like you said, so it's pretty small and pretty quiet and peaceful. This is Antonio Blancarte, who grew up in the area. Well, yeah, this is Half Moon Bay. It's like the nicest place to be. Like, no type of crime rate. You could. The worst thing that's probably going to happen to you here is you get bit by a dog. Other people called the city a paradise, so this was really unexpected for the community. We mentioned that Latinos make up a large portion of the population in Half Moon Bay, and two of the farm workers who were killed were Hispanic. How difficult has it been for that community in particular? It's extremely difficult for them to comprehend. I mentioned that they're a tightly knit community, and many of the farm workers are from southern Mexican states like Oaxaca and Central American countries like El Salvador and Honduras. I spoke with a few people who knew one of the victims of the shooting, Marciano Martinez Jimenez. Here's Francisca Sanchez. Her and Martinez Jimenez are from the same pueblo, Santiago Apostol, in Oaxaca, Mexico. De mi tierra es como triste, ¿verdad? Porque... Venimos a los Estados Unidos a, a luchar, a trabajar como campesinos. Nosotros somos de Oaxaca y somos muy orgullosos y trabajamos muy duro. 
para salir adelante y cuando pasa esto sí te quedas como wow, ya, es difícil. She tells me to hear it's someone from your own land is even more difficult. You know, they come to the United States to work hard and to get ahead, and a lot of people are sending money back home to their families. So to hear that someone passed away from their hometown, it's it's extremely difficult. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, you've done a lot of reporting on farm worker communities in the state. Uh, for many of those farm workers, English may not be their first language, or they might be concerned about their immigration status, right? So does this type of violence just add to those concerns? Of course. I mean, a lot of these people are making meager wages and they're afraid to speak up because they're undocumented and they don't want to be deported. Or if there are poor conditions in their workplace, they're also not going to speak up again for fear of deportation. Uh, now that this is happening, it just adds another layer of fear that they have to experience. And here's uh, Lorena Villalobos. She works at a flower nursery near the farm where one of the shootings happened. Sí, sí tengo miedo, la verdad. Tiene uno temor, ¿verdad? Que uno no sabe, pues, uno nunca sabe lo que vaya a pasar. She tells me the news has left her afraid it could happen at her job, and, you know, you just never know. So what are local leaders in Half Moon Bay doing to assist the community, especially farm workers there? Well, San Mateo County is working on a wage replacement program to help those farm workers who had to stop working because of everything that's happening. And then there's ALAS, which is Ayudando Latinos a Soñar. It's a community organization that helps Latinos in the area. And they've started a fund where people can donate money to help the families of the victims bury their loved ones and get back on their feet when they're able to. They're also providing mental health services to Latinos who are impacted by this. All right. That was my California Report colleague, Mari Bolaños. Mari, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, where their greatest reward is a healthy patient. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And finally, in politics, California Congressman Adam Schiff has announced he's running for Dianne Feinstein's U.S. Senate seat, a seat Feinstein has held for three decades. KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer tells us more about Schiff. The Los Angeles Democrat has been one of Donald Trump's leading critics in Congress, a key player in the first impeachment and the House committee that investigated the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Schiff is hoping to parlay this national profile into next year's Senate race. I think what's most important to people at this moment is uh, someone who will be a champion for our democracy, will champion our values, will uh, fight to ensure the economy works for everyone. Earlier this week, Speaker Kevin McCarthy refused to allow Schiff and East Bay Congressman Eric Swalwell to remain on the House Intelligence Committee, a move Schiff called evidence the Bakersfield Republican is beholden to extreme elements of his party. If McCarthy thinks this is going to stop me, he's going to find out just how wrong he is. And I think uh, a great many Californians will delight in the idea of uh, Adam Schiff being Kevin McCarthy's home state senator. Schiff joins Orange County Democratic Congresswoman Katie Porter in the race. Oakland Congresswoman Barbara Lee is also expected to jump in. Feinstein has not announced plans to retire, but Schiff says the 89-year-old senator gave him her blessing to run. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer.
And that is the California Report for Thursday, January 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Have a good day. And let's talk tomorrow. In more local news, the Sacramento Bee is reporting that California's recent torrential storms will allow the state water project to deliver 1.3 million acre-feet of water throughout the state this year, six times as much as projected before the storms. Entrenched in a third consecutive year of severe drought conditions, the California Department of Water Resources announced on December 1st that it would be able to deliver only 5% of water supply requested for 2023. But now, the state says the project can deliver 30% this year. That works out to 1.27 million acre-feet of water, about 413 billion gallons. The allocation increase is the direct result of extreme weather in late December and the nine atmospheric rivers in early January that helped fill reservoirs and dramatically increase the Sierra Nevada snowpack, according to the California Department of Water Resources in a press release. The nine atmospheric river storms that struck California between late December and the first half of January produced dangerous flooding, killing at least 22 people, and brought extreme winds causing extensive damage and cutting power to hundreds of thousands of residents. But the downpours and heavy mountain snow also replenished withered reservoirs and boosted California's snowpack levels past double their historic averages for this time of year. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 38 degrees. Friday, sunny with a high near 56. Friday night, widespread frost, mainly after 5 a.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 33. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 22. On Friday, sunny skies with a high near 56. On Friday night, Widespread frost, mainly after 5 a.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 33. And for our friends in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight patchy fog after 5 a.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 37. On Friday, patchy fog before 9 a.m., patchy frost between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m., otherwise mostly sunny with a high near 58. On Friday night, patchy fog between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 37. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Nevada County received a grant in 2022 to help launch a Youth Job Corps program in collaboration with Connecting Point, aiming to help provide local youth with career opportunities. Now that it's been active for several months, KVMR's intern news producer, Julia Jem, met with some of the people involved with the program to learn how it's going. In October of 2022, Nevada County received a $1.7 million grant to launch a Youth Jobs Corps program, partnering with Bright Futures for Youth and Connecting Point to bring career opportunities to local youth aged 16 to 30. The program provides paid internships for local nonprofits as well as government agencies. My news internship here at KVMR is also accomplished through this program. Now that the program has been functioning for several months, I thought it might be beneficial to check in and learn about the experiences that other interns are having. I met with Courtney Palencia, the youth navigator at Connecting Point, to gain insight. Here's what she had to say about the program itself. 
My name is Courtney Palencia, and I am the Youth Navigator here at Connecting Point for our Youth Job Corps program. Our program is really um, multifaceted in that we work with youth and kind of meet them where they're at. So sometimes that looks like case management, helping make referrals for housing and helping our interns learn transportation, public transit, if that's something that they are feeling uncomfortable about, um, really dialing in their interview skills and making sure that their resumes are up to date and filled out in a way that really helps them stand out. We do um, employment training, so we will offer anywhere from communication training, professionalism, um, teamwork, enthusiasm, and so that is kind of individualized based off of their needs. And then from there, we work with close to 30 nonprofit partners here locally in Nevada County. And we also work with um, Nevada County, the city of Nevada City, and the city of Grass Valley to create these internships. And they're really, um, you know, fine-tuned to what the interns are looking for. So if somebody is interested in learning more about um, human resources, we will then try to get them an internship in, you know, the department that matches their long-term career goals. Next, I was introduced to Layla, Justice, and Tyson, three of the Youth Jobs Corps' newest interns. Hi, my name's Tyson, and I'm a culinary intern. Hi, my name's Justice, and I'm a culinary intern. Hi, my name is Layla, and I'm an administrative intern. I asked each of them the same three questions. First, how or where did you learn about this opportunity? Um, I learned about this opportunity kind of just um, calling around and um, finding out um, through a few people at work um, from my old prior job. Um, and then once meeting with Courtney, um, just kind of getting her um, help, um, further assistance more into kind of how the program works and stuff. I learned about connecting points through my fiance's grandma. Uh, her friend's granddaughter worked here, so she kind of headed us in the right direction. Um, I learned about this opportunity through calling 211 and getting referred there from there to Connecting Point, which I heard from Courtney. Next, what has your experience been so far in terms of what you've learned and achieved? Um, my experience has been... Um, all around good, I would say, on just um, a business level, um, learning um, just your basic interview skills, um, how to fill out a resume, just kind of teaching you your basic necessities and, and needs to know, um, especially if it's your first time, um, you know, first job. Um, they kind of touch um, all points of entry to kind of help you get ready for your interview. And, you know, like I said, if you don't have a resume, prepare, prepare you for one. And um, I would say that's the most important thing is having a resume. I kind of overskipped it a few times prior jobs, and um, it helps out a lot more when you have a resume, definitely. I learned uh, resume skills. I had a I had a pretty okay resume, but working with Courtney and this program, she helped me put um, a little bit more, I guess, um, I guess you filled out my resume more. It feels better, like it's more professional. I have a cover letter now, uh, so yeah. Um, it's been super like fun and exciting, and I'm excited for the future events and stuff in the program.
And finally, have you faced any challenges during your internship that you've had to overcome? Um, I have not faced any challenges yet um, than just kind of a waiting period sometimes. But um, even then, I kind of don't look at that as a challenge because I don't lose faith. I kind of just look at it as um, the right thing will open up at the right time, and that's where I know where I need to be. No, everybody's been really nice. Uh, I haven't had none, but I don't think there's going to be any because everybody's super nice and everybody is really down there. So I feel like it's not going to be any challenges because everybody's pretty willing to help everybody. Then I spoke to the mother of an intern and asked her to describe her experience with the Youth Jobs Corps program as a parent. Here's what she had to say. Um, we started looking into this program because my son had, um, gone through a lot of trials, like after COVID, he lost a few friends, his favorite teacher, and he was really struggling. Um, he had had knee surgery and he lost his senior year of sports, which was really important to him. And at the same time, he lost his coach kind of because they, you know, if he's not there, he's not around that mentor. And so um, we were looking into something where he could maybe have someone mentor him. And he didn't have a resume. He didn't have a bank account. He didn't have anything, you know, that we wanted him to have moving forward. So we called Connecting Point and we're connected with Courtney. And I work with Head Start and teen parents, and I had always referred them, but he's not a teen parent, so I wasn't sure how the process worked. Um, But as soon as he had started with the program, his whole demeanor changed. He went from being um, uninterested in doing anything to um, really focused with schoolwork. He had his resume made. He got to do an interview. He got the job. He was really positive. And we have our son back now. So it was all a really good experience. Um, He loves his job. As far as I know, he goes every day on time. (laughs) I try not to get too involved because he's 18 now. But um, everything's been really positive and He has been telling all of his friends, you know, you really need to call her. You really need to get support. It's it's just changed his whole life. Everything's really positive. For KVMR, I'm Julia Jim. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. Someone just invited me to join a Facebook group called The Saging Crone. I should just stop here and let you think about this for three minutes while the radio is silent, but since we have such a taboo about dead air, I will continue. I first thought on reading the invitation that the name was Sagging Crone, which did not fill me with enthusiasm. What do we often think about when we hear the word sagging? We think about female upholstery. In this context, sagging is the opposite of perky. No one aspires to sagging. We are constantly trying to lift and re-perk this area. The word crone is also not a condition I feel warmly toward. There's a movement among some women to reclaim this alleged life stage and make it a symbol of power and glory, but I don't think it's working. Crone is firmly established in my mind as equivalent to every old woman in every fairy tale ever written, someone who did not get the warts removed from her face, and probably has a dangerous predilection for stuffing children into ovens. 
Even though I was born and raised in California, I did not join the demographic known as New Age. I admit I have saged a house. I do sometimes listen with pleasure to Deva Pramal. But I try hard not to go anywhere. I'm going to end up having to hold hands with a lot of people in a big circle. I'm sorry if this sounds unfriendly or caustic. I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings, but I just can't stand it. Nothing feels more contrived and fake to me. The one thing I thank COVID for is that it forestalled invitations to participate in a circle. This invitation was virtual and therefore not a health risk. I just declined. I didn't make any rude remarks to the inviter, whom I don't personally know. I'm a little loath to remark on the radio, too, since some of my friends really love New Age tropes and language and ideology. But, as you can hear, that hasn't stopped me. This brings up an interesting issue. What do we do about disagreeing with people we love? And then, widening the frame, how do we get along with anyone we don't agree with, across the aisle or in another country? If you respect someone generally, what do you do when it seems as though they've gone off half-cocked in one particular area? I have no answer. I'm just pointing out there are a lot of questions. Some of this is about me and no one else, how I feel about having mixed feelings and whether I should express them or not, how comfortable I am saying, oh, for heaven's sake, to a friend when that's how I feel. Is it uncompassionate? Will it bust the friendship? Do I even want to get into a discussion about it? Usually not. I don't want to offend anyone, but I also don't want to pretend. More and more these days, I see the questions inherent in a situation and don't know how to answer them. Maybe this is accumulated wisdom now that I'm 67 and a half. Maybe all answers require context and can't be generalized. Maybe we each have to figure out our own answer. What do you think? Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Thursday, January 26th. KVMR gets support from our generous listeners and from the Nevada City Farmers Market. Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. indoors at 505 Main Street in Nevada City. Now through April 8th. Featuring sustainably grown food from local farmers, crafts, artisanal offerings, and live music. EBT accepted. ncfarmersmarket.org And Mowell Paint and Glass. Supplying Nevada County with paints, stains, and supplies since 1949. Offering custom color matching, airless paint sprayer rentals, and a full-service glass shop for residential and commercial projects. M-O-U-L-E paintandglass.com KVMR's Future of Radio project is back, and we're looking for our next group of Youth News Corps reporters. If you're interested in radio journalism and production, are 15 to 18 years old and live in Nevada County, the early application deadline is coming up February 5th. Head on over to kvmr.org slash youthnewscore for more information.
Thanks to Julia Jem for her help with this newscast. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>